welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory here on Draft Night for American Football. I want to introduce you to the number one draft pick of my heart, Brett Corominas. How are you doing today, Brett? That is one of the most thoughtful openings that you've had. I no, I'm I, I feel good, man. I feel really good. Like that put me in a good headspace before I started the show. That's I don't have anything nice to say about you. I feel bad now. You're uh, you're that's the, all right. You're the you're the you know compensation pick in my heart that I get in between like the third and fourth round for the offensive lineman that like started five games. <laughs> Way better than I was expecting. I was expecting Mr. Irrelevant, <laughs> 256, no doubt about it for your heart. I know uh, you're like you're like between the fourth and fifth round. <laughs> well, it wasn't just me paying you a compliment and put you in a good headspace. Before we get to this week's game, I want to have a little bit of fun. Go from a oh. football draft to a football draft. So let's do a little bit of a thought exercise, Brett. Last week, we talked about whether anybody could break into the Liverpool or Manchester City sides from the rest of the league. I want to ask you a different question this week. Okay. So pretend that um, the world has fallen apart, which isn't that big of a stretch right now. And the (laughs) Premier League is going to adopt more of an American sports model. I know most people just turned me off and I don't blame you. I just saved you 45 minutes. You're welcome. Um, but if this was moving to more of a franchise model and all contracts were voided and every single player in the premier league was now available for a draft, let's do a quick draft board of who you think the top picks would be. And so the only other criteria I will give you is whoever you get, whoever you draft, you're looking for a franchise cornerstone that is going to get a fresh five-year contract. So it's just kind of like just, you know, what they're doing in the NFL right now. And for this purposes, because otherwise it becomes impossible, assume that you're able to hire a manager, able to bring out the best talents of the cornerstones that you draft. Okay. So like, uh, like it would be stupid to, you know, draft TAA and then have Mourinho manage him. It would be, <laughs> be crazy to have. He wouldn't, he you know, wouldn't play under Mourinho. <laughs> be crazy to have Harry Kane and then have, you know, Sean Dyche. Like that's not what we're talking about here. Just assume the manager's going to, to maximize the abilities of whatever franchise cornerstones you draft. So you get the exercise. Yeah, I got, I got it. I got it. Cool. All right. So, uh, because I did not let you prepare ahead of time for your own good for the audience, I asked him if he wanted to, and he said, no, which is my recommendation. Cause he would have like gone back in the laboratory, got out like the Winston burners, like, you know, tried to balance everything through the pH table. And then he would have given me the exact same five answers that he was going to give, um, give me anyway. So I just saved him a lot of hours of time. He's welcome. All right. So I think we should do this one to five because I have a feeling you're going to get pretty wonky when you get, you know, uh, a little bit down your board. You'll have some different answers than I did. Uh, And I want to have a little bit of an argument at the top. So I'll give you my number one and then you either agree or you could say you take somebody above them. Deal. All right. Deal. Let's do it. I'm excited. All right. Number one in the franchise draft. I'm going to build around this guy for the next five years. I am taking Phil. No. <laughs> no, deities aren't eligible. Okay. Uh, so I am taking a mortal Phil Foden number one overall uh, for this draft. Uh, that was that was the first guy in my mind. It's an it's a no brainer. Like that, I was talking about this to somebody like earlier in the week, and one of the things that's like incredible about City is that Phil Foden, if he played for literally, I think any other club, maybe maybe except Liverpool, but yeah, I think even Liverpool. But if he played for any other club, we would be talking about this dude nonstop. He is yeah. so talented, still so young, 
super productive. Like it is nuts that city is so good. They can like somehow blunt the star talent that's emanating from this, this dude. It's crazy. I, I think he is without a doubt, no brainer. Number one, the production he's putting up at his age in the toughest league in the world. I mean, it's like, as far as world talents, he's probably just behind Mbappe at this point and, and Holland. So yeah, like, I mean, yeah, tw- 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 21 years old plays everywhere in the attacking third, tremendous yeah. productivity, pr- tremendous versatility. And you're absolutely getting him coming into his prime and he could be a beacon for you to attract other world-class talent to get to play with this dude. I mean, I don't know if we're looking at a Ronaldo Messi level career, but of anybody in the premier league and anywhere even close to his age that you could build around, I think I agree. I'm glad. I mean, I obviously agree since I threw him out first. I'm glad you didn't embarrass me and say that was a terrible pick. So <laughs> Phil Foden, number one guy to, to build around in the entire premier league going forward. Well, well, I mean, the weird thing is like, if you like the, the players that immediately probably come to your mind as far as like the stars in the premier league, they're all guys that you wouldn't want to build a team around right now. Like De Bruyne is, is on the wrong 30. side of 30. Like Salah is about yeah. the, good to go on the wrong side. Uh, 30. Sadio Mane is 30, I think. So like, there's a lot of guys in the league right now that are the stars. Harry Kane, same, same deal. So son, all those dudes, they're like aging out. So it's, it's really interesting. Like when you think about it is like Phil Foden probably isn't the name when you think premier league draft that like pops the top of your head. But you have to remember that every other one of those guys is definitely aging the wrong way. And he's going to he hasn't even hit his prime yet. That's it. That's exactly right. If we were this is why it's so different from last week's exercise, right? Last week's exercise is on current form. Who yeah. are the most important players for the systems that, that Manchester City and Liverpool play? This is not that exercise whatsoever. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is outside of what of the of what you just said, calling that out. I don't think. Almost any of the names we mentioned last week, with one big exception, are going to be in the top five and probably not my top 10. I mean, like De Bruyne, I think, is you know the best player in the world right now. Or not maybe not the world, but the best player in the Premier League for sure and, and the most impactful. But you know, you're getting age 31, 32, 33, unless he goes Luka Modric. If he goes uh-huh. Luka Modric, he should probably be number one on this draft. But the other thing is like if you think about this from the American sports point of view, and I, this is also true for true franchise uh cornerstones, like you're not gonna get them for just five years. Like you have such an advantage in retaining them on their extensions and on their next deals, their families are settled, language barriers are broken down, they're well taken care of, huge commercial opportunities that you probably get phoned for the next 10 to 15. And you definitely don't want De Bruyne when he's 40. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other, the other thing you have to look at too is uh, Mares and, and De Bruyne are, or KDB are one and two in terms of overall goals for City this year. They're also finishing way above their expected totals. Uh, De Bruyne has a 15 on six and a half uh, XG and Mares has 23 on 14. And I mean, like when you're taking 31 year olds that are finishing that well, it's not a good sign going forward. KDB might fall off a clip probably a little faster than he's looking like right now too. Like that's the other part of this. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's phones all the way. Like he's, I think he's second in all competitions in terms of 
non-penalty expected goals and assists for City. I think beside behind Jesus, who obviously just went fucking bonkers that one game. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's a clear number one. I agree that I think this list is going to probably be the antithesis of like a fantasy one-year draft for the Premier League because it's going to be a lot of guys that are on the up but aren't quite there in the forefront of the top names yet. And in, in putting my board together, it really like crystallized something that uh, I've been noticing, but never like put, you know, thought to voice, which is the huge transition that the Premier League is going to be looking at in the next couple of years. To, I mean, obviously, there can be some stars that come into the Premier League from other leagues, and that that's always going to happen. But the all not all, but a vast majority of the best players are in like the 28 to 32 year old age range. And then there's this huge wave of sub 25 year olds coming behind them. But like that, like 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 range outside of like Harry Kane. And I, I guess Sun's still 29, but, uh, you know, 25 to 28 isn't as deep as you would expect, considering that is the absolute prime years of a soccer mm-hmm. player's career. So it's a little yeah. bit surprising this donuts that's forming with the young talent versus the super established guys. And that middle of that age curve is a little bit lacking right now in the Premier League. Yeah, no, it really is. That's interesting. I guess I haven't thought about this enough to really see that. It was kind of like with the U.S. men's national team, like the gap between, you know, the Donovan Dempsey era and then the, the Pulisic era. There was like just no one there, right? Um, yeah. And hopefully for the Premier League, and it will because it's the richest league in the world, and they'll just sign players that are 24 to 28 because they have the most money in that league. But yeah, it, it, there definitely is a, a, a weird kind of age gap. There isn't too many guys that I would consider star level quality that are sitting right in between like 24 and 28 right now. Right. And like three years ago, if I said, hey, who do you think are the most valuable or best players in the league? It would have been a the same list, right? It'd be Salah, it'd be De Bruyne, it would be uh, Van Dyke, it would have been Hazard, and they all would have been 26, 27 years old three years ago, or 28. So it's weird that there's this gap right now. Eden Hazard on his way to China, and we're dying (laughs) just a few years ago. He's one of the best players in the Premier League. He was. I mean, that's not me. Life comes at you fast, Toby. Life comes at you fast. Life does come at you fast. All right, well, we're not going too fast here, so I guess we should speed it up a little bit uh, so we still have some time to talk about this week's action. Number two on my board, this is probably because of my DNA growing up a a Chelsea fan and a Mourinho fan. Uh, I really like building through the spine. Like the spine is just way more important to me than probably it is in, in a lot of other people's opinions. Here um, comes the Mason Mount. Here comes Mason No, Mount. not yet. No, no, no. no. Uh, Ruben right. Diaz. Ruben Ooh. Diaz, 24 years old, building out a center back, really getting a solid line. Van Dyke's 30. And there's not, as we're talking about, a lot of people on the right side of the A's curve because, like, center backs mature later, right? Like, you know, attackers mature earlier. They get more chances. They use their pace and their trickery uh, and dribbling in order to get playing time. And central defenders are people who kind of have to learn their craft a little bit more. So, like, I guess I could have looked at, like, Kanate um, at 22 at Liverpool. But Diaz is one of the only young, extraordinarily talented, well-established central defenders, and that's what I want to build my team around. Yeah, I would even go as far as say is he's not even the best center back on Manchester City. Um, I think a lot of what we saw last year was – a weird confluence of events with city that made Ruben Diaz look a lot better than he was. And the first was they weren't as aggressive with the press. So he wasn't defending like Vincent company style in 40 yards of space 
nearly as much. Second, Pep kind of came up with the Kyle Walker thing where he put Walker as like his Fernandinho as the counterstopper. And so Walker would hang back and basically play the role that most of the time in pressing systems center backs do, where they're the ones that are covering the massive amounts of grounds and the speedy striker trying to get in behind when the ball is lost. And Ruben Diaz didn't really do that. And second, City slowed their pace way down. So they just had the ball more. There was less possessions in their games, which are basically less chances for turnovers for a guy like Diaz to get exposed. But I, I, I'm, I rock with uh, American Port. I think he's really good, and he's still in 27. I definitely think he is the best center back on City. Um, I do think that, like, in general, a lot of center backs are byproducts of what's in front of them and the way that a system is structured. So I mm. think it's it's dangerous to go with any center back in your top five, especially when Trent Alexander-Arnold is sitting right there. And who he's, cares he's, if he can't defend? Put that yeah, out there and they're going to score goals. So he's your number two selection. He's my number three selection. So it's not like it's wildly yeah. off. I just, no, I, I, I just was waiting. Know. I think it was just a matter of time, I think, before we got to him. But yeah, I think for... For that, for the, this is more almost like a, like an overall value of the position in a theoretical like this. I just don't think center backs are that valuable because you could have James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee. If you put Conte in front of them, they're going to look amazing. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, so uh, it, it, I guess this is just a philosophical difference. I like, yeah. if we had a, like, if we had a different draft with like a fantasy style draft, who would you take right now to win a championship? Van Dyke, I think would be a top three pick for a lot of people. I mean, honestly, but the thing is, is I think Van Dyke is great. Like he deserves a lot of the credit that he does. He's the world's best center back at this point. I think I don't even know if it's really arguable, Um, but a lot of Liverpool's overall team success actually coincided with Fabinho sitting right in front of him. That is really where the defense took off. And then this year when they went, when they went crazy, it was when Thiago got healthy and then it was Thiago, Fabinho and Van Dyke. So I always just think there's a chain reaction. Like, I think this is part of like the fun of, of soccer, right? Like this is the fun of this kind of debate is like, there isn't a yes. Like we all can go to basketball. One guy can like outsize influence a game. And it's hard to argue against like what other guys are doing around him. But in soccer, there's 11 guys on the pitch systems, vary, game states vary. So like, this is like part of the fun of this debate is I, I think like we, it's hard to parse, like where is Van Dyke's excellence contributing to Liverpool's overall success. Like how much did Ruben Diaz really do for city success last year? It could be more than, than I'm giving him credit for, or it could be less than you are like, but this is, I, yeah. this is fun. I love these discussions because of that. All right. So you've got Alexander Arnold second. I have a yes. third, uh, obviously like having that disruptive of a creative force coming out of your, you know, back four is just outrageous. We've barely ever seen this before in the world of soccer, certainly not at the level he's both doing it and at the level Liverpool's playing and the way they flip the field and really um, taking advantage of his unique abilities and built a system around him. I think you'd have to do the same if he was your franchise cornerstone. You'd have to take the same position that Klopp has and build almost your entire system to take advantage of those traits because obviously his de- he's not being drafted second overall for defense, right? And even though he's a defender. So I think you would have to build your entire system around him. But if you did that, you have an advantage that no other team on the planet has. And we're watching it play out right now for a team that's dominating the world. 
Yeah, and I mean, really, like the thing about uh, you know TAA is you could put him as like a free eight, and his skill set would still carry over. Like he'd still create a ton of change. He wouldn't have the goals probably. Actually, might have a little more playing a little higher up the pitch. But like even when you watch Liverpool play, like there's a term called the half space, and it's basically kind of in between the like the middle of the pitch and then the touchline. And Alexander Arnold, that's typically a spot where you used to find like forwards and strikers and wingers. But like when Liverpool play, like when you see him have the ball, like Alexander Arnold will sit in that area of the pitch. So he he literally functions as an attacker kind of already from the right back spot. Um, yeah, I, I just think his skill set, I think it's like Reese James, like Reese James could probably move centrally and be just fine, too. You know what I mean? So like he he will you can knock him and say you have to design the system around him. And yeah, he's a little finick finicky in terms of like he's not a perfect fit for something you know he's not like the classic overlapping right back but i also think that you could still slot him anywhere in a starting 11 somewhere in the field and he'd be incredibly valuable still for what he does all right well i've given my top three you owe me your third who's third on your list i really want to troll anybody that is actually listening to this so bad right now but i don't know if i can pull the trigger oh all right. Well, You're I'm going to go safe. If you don't I'm going to pull. I'm going to. I'm going to go safe. I actually think that he has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle this year, but like Raheem Sterling is still one of the Premier League's best attackers. He's just only pay, played, despite City being every competition super deep. He's only played about 2,800 minutes this year. So yeah. you know, if he was on any other team where he was like when he was healthy, he was in the starting eleven. Like his goal totals, his, his creation totals be way higher. Um, but I still think he's one of the best attackers in the world. Um, and he's only 27. So you get a, probably a few more years out of his prime, a few more years where he starts to fade. Um, but as of right now, like he would be, he would move to Arsenal. He'd be their best attacker. I mean, would he be the best attacker on Chelsea? Maybe. Oh, yeah. 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 So 100%. Chelsea... I mean, you keep going on the list. Spurs, maybe there'd be a choice between no. him and Harry Kane. But, like, you put him on any other team. You put him in Madrid. He's their at least their second-best attacker on Madrid. You know, Barcelona, he's their best attacker. So, like, it, it, this, is, uh, this is the kind of thing that gets lost. Is like City is so good that they have Raheem Sterling, one of the world's best attackers, like a part-time player. And I still think, for me, given the age construct, he would fit in. That would be my third. Yeah. Okay. Not on my, not in my top five list. So that's an interesting take. Cause I would rather have Harry Kane at 28 uh, than Sterling at 27. I think Kane's going to, his game's going to age better with his distribution and his playmaking. Yeah. He might even drop back deeper in the field because he's such a good distributor from, um, from midfield. And so if I was going to take a kind of, you know, mid to late twenties attacker, I would definitely take Kane over Sterling, but to ease their own. Um, now is exactly when you get to call me a Homer. Uh, with my with the fourth overall selection, Mason now it's Mason Mountain time. Yeah, it's definitely Mason Mountain time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think he's a I think he's a good pick. Like he, he's I I used to give him a lot of flack early uh, in the in his first when Lampard first came over. I was like, he just he's got a favorite. This dude doesn't deserve the minutes, but he has gotten so much better. He's so influential now. I mean, I'll let you take it away. You watch him week in and week out. Tell me why. No, I don't think I don't have to. I don't have to take it too far away. I mean, he's 23 years old. He's contributing 
all over the place. In the modern game, with the emphasis on pressing, yeah. he's excellent at that yeah. part of the game, and then That's turning uh, d- defense into attack at all at all points on the field. Yeah, and he's also, I mean, like if you want to get into the softer stuff, like his teammates love him. Uh, if you're talking about building a franchise, a real cornerstone, he's going to help you with recruitment. He's the perfect age and he doesn't really, he's not, he's not the best in the world at any single skill, but he, but like Lampard, he is excellent at almost every part of the game of soccer. Yeah. Um, and well, you can also so, play him anywhere pretty much other than striker at this point. Like he, he can play in the attacking band. Uh, as a, a winger or a 10, he can play as a free eight. You probably could play him depending on the, who the other part of the pivot is, as a two, depending on your system. And he could play like the Aaron Ramsey system. kind of role. Um, yep. Like, yeah, he just, uh, like he, like he's kind of like the opposite of Trent Alexander Arnold, where you probably do have to carve out like sort of a stuff around him with Mount. He is like that Swiss army knife of productivity where you can, fit him with any type of system in any type of way. And he's still probably going to find somewhere to be really productive. Yeah. And that's exactly why he's nailed on the starters list in England. And, and Alexander Arnold is not Alexander Arnold is probably the more ultimately valuable football player in the world sphere, but he's not the Swiss army knife. And so TAA doesn't always end up in the England 11, but Mount is a mainstay now, which is really interesting, even though TAA is probably, you know, the more transcendent player. Yeah. Um, all right. I who's, mean, who's your four? My, my fourth would have been Harry Kane. So I, I agree. Okay. I think still, I, I think he's going to have, like you said, that deep line playmaker thing where he's not going to necessarily have to be this poacher kind of guy. He can, you can drop him. You can probably, I mean, they're already basically been doing it with him and son. His son's a guy that's making the runs actually into the box. And Kane's been the guy that's been dropping deep now. Um, so, I mean, he's going to still have an impact and an influence on matches into his early thirties and probably mid thirties, because he's just going to keep dropping deeper and deeper on the pitch. The goal totals might not be there, but probably the overall influence on like shot creation, which matters is going to be there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he's my fourth. I mean, I think, you know, goals are incredibly valuable and I just think Redding Sterling's really, really good. And we just continually forget about this. He's also taken an inordinate amount of flack over his career for things that aren't his fault. Um, so yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, but true. But when you watch a highlight reel of him sailing yeah. the ball over the bar, going wide on easy goals, and it's twenty six minutes long, then you got to rethink how transcendent he might be. Well, but see, this is the thing about attackers is there. If you have a highlight reel where you can watch twenty six minutes of a guy missing chances, he is getting into spots constantly to have those chances. And I mean, I think for his entire career, I'll actually look it up right now because I'm on his page. Uh, So let's see. He has 73 basically expected goals in his career and 106 total goals. So that's going to be, that's obviously not going to, that's going to be including some of his earlier years with City and Liverpool, but he's probably right on his expected goal totals for the most part. So, you know, I mean, it happens like, but the point is, it's like the guy gets into positions to have an entire highlight reel that can go 15, 20 minutes yeah. of him missing chances because he's always getting into spots to score. And that's what matters. Yeah, I hope I hope him and Timo are just sending their highlight reels of misses to each other. Those are <laughs> the only ones you really appreciate it. Hey, Maybe you boy, can be the third person on that text Your chain. boy Timo is, he's creeping up to his being level on his expected goal tallies too. He's got four on about 6.9 right now. He gets hot yeah. for one match. He's right there. 
none of it means I expect him to score even when he's in front of the net with the ball. Uh, all right, so let's just do the last one, and then let's do uh, take a quick break and do this week's games. I'll just read off the the, the short list I had when I was considering, and I'm pretty confident you're not going to agree with my fifth pick, but here we are. Uh, Jao Cancelo, 27. Oh, love it. I, Allison at Allison's 29. If you wanted a goalkeeper, God, then I think he's so your top good. choice and 10 more years of Allison because goalkeepers are good into the late thirties is pretty attractive to build a team around. Yeah. Um, J- Jesus, Manchester city, Jota, Rashford, Saka, Jaden Sancho, who is 22 years old. And one year ago probably would have been the third or fourth pick on this list before Manchester United fucking ruined him. Um, Declan Rice, Reese James, and then the guy I'm actually going to pick, who is the only person on this entire list who has had a Champions League winning goal at his age, Kai Havertz, 22 years old, play him anywhere on the field, already accomplished, uh, coming into his own as a striker, but can play in a two, can play in a three, can play in the midfield, he can play absolutely everywhere, tremendous skill set. Great attitude and incredibly, uh, incredibly German. So if I'm getting the next Thomas Mueller with the fifth pick to build my team around to create the new Bayern, I'm doing it. I think you're getting the next, the German Bobby Firmino is what you're getting. Um, because one, <laughs> one of the big things with one of the big things with Havertz, it's so valuable is he wins the ball back as an attacker. Yes. And we don't even know yet, like exactly how valuable that is, but with the emphasis on pressing high up the pitch, and creating chances because you're turning it over in the opponent's third, like that is huge. And and we've talked about this before at Chelsea too, right? That trio of Mount Havertz and Werner is their best, not because they're the most talented attackers, but partially because of what they do for the defense and the ability to regain possession in dangerous areas. Yep. Because all those guys press and Havertz only presses, but he wins the ball back. So it's an interesting one. I I think he's going to be one of those guys that like, will never post like a, you know, like Sterling's had a 20 goal season, right? I don't know if Havertz is ever going to get to 20, but he may get to like 15 and eight and do a, a ton of defensive work that helps his teams win and, and be better. Um, so, I mean, he's interesting. And as for my, he wouldn't make my fifth pick. I think all the names you mentioned are, are awesome. Like they're all incredible players. I love Allison. Like he's incredible. Um, I, I, I want to go with Mount. But I also really just want to troll anybody that's listening. I don't know why. Troll away, troll away, troll away, troll away. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it safe. I'm gonna tell you who I'm thinking of. I'm not gonna pick this guy. I am gonna go with Mount. I think at 23, with the number of minutes he has, with the way that he can play, he is immensely valuable for a number of reasons in this theoretical scenario. Um, The guy that I really. were you about to throw Jared Bowen out? Is this a, is it, do you have a boner alert? Is that what we're doing? No, here? no, not at all. Okay. No, all right. That's my, who I thought you were trolling me with. Who you got? No, my, my troll is going to be, this is more like a general soccer fandom hatred thing going on right now with this guy, but my troll would be Jack Grealish. So as the mm. because a year ago today, when he was at Aston Villa, we were talking about him as a premier league player of the year candidate. And he does so much in terms of getting the ball into the penalty box via dribbling or passing. That is so valuable. So it doesn't show up in his goal totals. He obviously has been hurt and kind of on the outside looking in with City this year. He's still actually basically been fairly good. He'd be the best attacker on 
literally any other, any non city, Liverpool, Chelsea team. <laughs> I mean, you put them in Arsenal, they would love to have this dude as much as they're probably shitting on him right now. Um, Spurs, same way. Like he would be a supercharged Kuliszewski. We've seen what Kuliszewski has done for him. Um, but I do think that Mount is younger. He's way more adaptable. He's probably going to bring you more of the end product in terms of goals, which everybody loves. Um, but Grealish is also like a hugely valuable player. I don't know if he'd be five. I think him and Havertz are an interesting discussion in terms of overall value because they both do shit that isn't measured in goals and assists. That's incredibly valuable. Um, yeah. but it, it, like really just naming the, 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 the final picks that you had, all those guys are awesome. Like the premier league is in yeah. a really good place. <laughs> so yeah. And, and everybody I named except for Allison and Jow are uh, 25 or under. Yeah. And this so, is the Cancelo fan club podcast basically. So like the fact that he didn't it make really a top is. five is just, is telling you what an embarrassment of riches that this league has right now. All right. Well, draft night 2023, we'll do this again and we'll see if Holland's the number one because he's in Manchester City. What I find most interesting is uh, in your heart with that troll pick at the end, your top like on your of your top 20, if you had done the board, you might have the entire Manchester City lineup. Oh, wow. You just love every one of those guys. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean uh, it's it's hard to like throw shade at me for that when it's quite clearly been the most dominant team in the world <laughs> for the last five years, like go ahead yeah. throw shade. I mean, liking the players for the team. I mean, Hey Zeus, I almost made it as my fifth pick too. So yeah, you're, I think my top 10 would have been like seven city guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, thumbs up to their board and their recruitment director, because they have the Brett Corbita stamp of approval, Yeah, which means uh, nothing, right. but hats off to them. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and then we are going to sprint through the six games involving the top six teams this weekend because they're not that interesting outside of the standings. Let's do this. All right, we are back, and we are going to roll through this weekend's action, starting at Newcastle versus Liverpool. Newcastle is ninth on 43 points versus Liverpool, who is second on 79 points. This game is Saturday at 7.30 a.m. Liverpool is minus 245. Newcastle is plus 700. The draw is plus 380. Liverpool is minus 1.5. I'm sorry, Liverpool on a minus 1.5 spread is plus 125, and Newcastle is minus 140. So one of the interesting things about the exercise we just did, Brett, and if we do it again next April, is how many Newcastle players might be on that list once they open up their wallet. And that should scare the hell out of fans of everybody else in the in the league. I don't we don't talk about it that much because they're not a big six team yet. And I think we are going to have a big seven here very shortly, because since the transfer window opened in January, they have been playing incredibly well in the fifth. Well, actually, they've been getting incredibly good results. Um, their on-field performance might not match the results, but in the 15 games since the transfer window opened in January, they have 10 wins, three losses, two ties, which is good for an 81-point pace over a full Premier League season, which would put them squarely in Champions League. And to put it in full context, Manchester City won the league last year with 86 points. So ever since they brought some transfers in, started getting their system in, the new owners took over as much as despicable as they might be. They are getting world-class results each match, and they haven't had 
the opportunity to have a summer window when all the big transfers actually happen to even fully fortify the squad. So that's just something I was noticing when I was researching and it kind of scared me thinking about next season. But this season, there's zero chance I'm actually picking against Liverpool on uh, uh, straight up with the title so squarely on their mind and a 2-0 lead in the Champions League tie. But Newcastle's form can't be completely ignored. And it is the early match on Saturday where weird things tend to happen. So I am taking Liverpool to win by one and that means I'm taking Newcastle at plus one and a half goals at minus 140. Yeah, I mean, one of the guys that actually might end up on our list, though, is uh, Bruno Guimaraes. I think I'm sure I'm butchering that. But that, that was their big signing from Lyon. And he has been awesome for them. They played him as kind of a free eight. And he will definitely be in a top 15, top 20 draft of uh, our, the league, probably. Um, especially because the French league typically does translate probably the best to the premier league. Um, but all that said, hundred percent, right. I, I don't think we, uh, again, it's a broken record because I don't think we can say this enough. Liverpool and city are so much better than everybody else. It, and they're so deep. It doesn't matter that Liverpool is going to rotate this game because they have the second leg coming up in their champions league because they'll just rotate to Jota who didn't start or like Divac Origi seems to score every timely goal ever. Um, you know, I mean, Luis Diaz has been incredible for them. You know, we don't even see Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott and these young talented midfielders because Thiago's playing and he's been incredible. Um, but I mean, I think they're going to rotate. The thing about Newcastle is they have no attackers. Like Chris Wood is eating up all their striker minutes and Chris Wood Sorry to rhyme here. It's not good. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's going to be a problem. So, I mean, again, it's just the same thing. Liverpool can pretty much throw out whoever they want. It might change a little bit of the dynamic of the match, um, but it's definitely not going to change the, the total approach that I would take to betting Liverpool. So I'm going to take them at minus one and a half because I do think that Newcastle is going to really, really, really struggle to not only possess the ball, they've been giving up a ton of possession already. And now they're going to uh, play one of the best teams at tilting the field against them. So I'm going to take Liverpool at minus a half, minus one and a half at plus 125. And I'm going to pick a good team to do a good thing. And I'm going to take Liverpool yeah. to get a clean sheet win it because somehow it's plus 110, despite the fact that Newcastle barely generates over a goal's worth of chances in any of these matches um, that are not penalty included. So I think this is going to set up easily for. Could be in the 1-0 range, Liverpool win, but 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, all those things are pretty yeah. much in play. Yeah, I mean, you'll see in my five pint that I'm not actually backing Newcastle with my pints, and I, want, I think you should, though. I think you should. I think should. Of course you think I should. <laughs> um, but for my, for my prop, I'm going with highest scoring half second at minus 110. So you're basically getting a coin flip on, on that to be the highest scoring half. And I see this being a slow match to start out with. You know, the lunchtime game over there, the morning game over here. And then Liverpool has no choice but to go after the points. Right. And so they yeah. might start slow. But as soon as that halftime whistle blows and if it's zero zero or whatever it might be, or even one zero either side, they're not going to be able to sit back. 
and they're going to have to go after all three to keep up with Manchester City. And I think that sets up really well for a slow start, but then a really hard finish because anybody who cracks a goal in the second half is going to open the game up. And then, you know, one side's going to have to chase, which is going to leave them to a counter, which is how Liverpool quickly turns 0-0 matches into 2-0, 3-0, 4-0 wins. Uh, So I like getting even money on more goals happening in the second half than the first. Uh, All right, let's keep it moving and go down to Leeds. Leeds United is 16th in the table, 34 points versus Manchester City. Of course, first at 80 points. This game is Saturday at 1230 p.m. So City will know the Liverpool result going into the kickoff. Uh, Man City is minus 330. Leeds is plus 850. The draw is plus 475. On the spread, Manchester City minus a goal and a half is minus 115. Leeds is plus 100. So pretty close to even money uh, for Manchester City to go ahead and blow them out. And of course, that is what I'm going to end up going with here. Um, but I want to talk just really quick about that that game last week where they won 5-1 and really set you up for a massive comeback in the five pine. And yeah. It really came through for you. Um, and uh, obviously, Jesus had himself a day with four goals. But I'm not sure I've ever seen a guy have four goals with less individual creativity. I mean, if Jesus of Nazareth sat down at a five-star restaurant, even he wouldn't receive better service than Z- Jesus of Man City got last week. It was ridiculous how many just like tap-ins and stupid penalties that they gave him to get four. I mean, like four is a massive accomplishment. It was the least impressive four I've ever seen. Uh, if that makes any sense. I mean, I think, I think that's the whole design of the city machine though. Right. Like that's what they do. They just pile chance after chance. And Jesus just happened to be the player that ended up being on the end of all of them. Usually it's a little more spread out with that team. You know, it's like Silva getting one and, you know, Sterling getting one and Mara's getting one, but this time it was just literally all of them were Jesus. Um, But I mean, yeah, that's just the city machine just chugging away and just absolutely ripping apart a team. Well, I mean, I mean, speaking of ripping apart a team, that's like lead specialty, right? If they continue to continue to play open, they're going to get cut to pieces. Spurs put four on them. Poole put six on them. Manchester United put four on them. Arsenal put four on them. City put seven on them last game. Chelsea put three on them last game. Anytime they play against a top six team, uh, they just get destroyed in terms of, of goal allowance. Hell, even Wolves put two on them, and that's like 10 for the Wolves. Uh, they might have a new manager, but they don't have a new ruthless or super cynical tactical outlook. They're still kind of playing some of the same style that allowed for all of those goals that I just read off. And with City still trailing a goal differential, if it comes down to that, I think this one's going to get ugly. So the fact that we are getting almost even money for Manchester City to win by at least two goals all day. And for my prop, give me the over on three point uh, three and a half goals at a tasty plus 120. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely something where um, Leeds, I think, lead a lot. well, first off, you have to, when you talk about Leeds, you have to go a little bit back to last season. They also worked miracles. They finished, I think, ninth in the table, but they drastically overperformed. So this year, we've seen a little bit of regression in the mean. We've also seen that they just don't have very many good players, and two of their very actual good players uh, Phillips and Bamford have just not played very much and Bamford is still going to be out. Um, so, I mean, the, the problem for Leeds actually in addressing Marsh has not been so much that they've been getting absolutely shredded in the, uh, in defense. They just haven't been able to combine much in attack. I mean, cause Daniel James is eating up a ton of minutes and there's a reason why United was so happy to jettison him. Um, so, I mean, I think for city, this is, we saw this like really weird, 
cocaine-fueled match <laughs> against Madrid in midweek. For anybody who watched that, it was incredible. Um, it was incredible. Absolutely but, incredible. But the thing that that City missed were our, was our boy Cancelo, who, you know, shout out to Jao Pod favorite, um, and Kyle Walker, who's been out with an injury. So they started Zinchenko and John Stones, and then John Stones went off, and Fernandinho came in to play right back and immediately looked incredible, but then gave up the goal of Vinicius Jr. by pressing up too hard against him. Um, but yeah. this this week, we should at least see Cancelo back in the side. It's going to stabilize City. And we think of Cancelo's all his great stuff that he does with the ball. But another big thing that he does for City is he wins the ball back. And that's huge to their counter-pressing system. Um, so I, I think it's going to be one of those things where, again, my picks are going to be so boring this week. It's going to be City's going to win this. Leeds are just not very good. They play guys like Matias Klitsch in the midfield. Like, come on, man. That, they, you can't get Klitsch is going to be playing somewhere in the championship next year, if not back in Poland. Um, I mean, you know, props to a guy getting that far. It's great. All that stuff, but you shouldn't be playing for a Premier league side at this point. And he's been starting and playing a ton of minutes for him. So I'm going to take city minus two and a half at plus two fifteen, and the good team to do good thing. The clean sheet win is somehow plus one fifteen. How are you doing yeah. this? Somebody yeah. come on and tell me how this is plus one fifteen against fucking Leeds. Someone, <laughs> and, and and even to further your point, and you know we already talked about it with Liverpool about rotation, but Manchester City they rotated six guys last week in the Premier League game and they won five one. So yeah. it just doesn't matter. Like, yeah. it, and they had, I mean, if they have KDB and they have Consuelo doing their thing. They're going to create chances against you know bottom five teams like uh, like Leeds and. Was it Burnley last week? I don't even remember. One of the crap teams they played last uh, week. Watford. Watford. There you go. Uh, all right. Let's move down to Tottenham versus Leicester City. Tottenham sitting fifth at 58 points uh, versus Leicester City, who's sitting 10th at 42 points. This game is Sunday at 9 a.m. Spurs are minus 220. Leicester is plus 600. The draw is plus 380. Spurs minus a goal and a half is plus 130. Leicester is minus 150. Uh, so I keep losing money on Spurs and I'm mad at myself <laughs> for doing it, but have. I just can't stop because they are Dante, completely man. Jekyll and Hyde. We keep talking about them being Jekyll and Hyde, but I think it's important to realize they're Jekyll and Hyde when you're betting. They're not playing close, like, you know, they're they're not winning close matches is what I actually mean to say. Mm. In their last 10 wins, only two of them have been by one goal. So if you are going to bet the Spurs and if you believe they are feast and famine, Jekyll and Hyde, whatever your analogy is, and if you think the opponent barely matters because the Spurs form is what's going to dictate the outcome, don't take them on money lines. Either take draws or their opponent to beat them or take them two goals or more to win because they're not winning by one goal um, in their recent form. So I'm going to, because I can't quit them and because they still have so much to play for and because I absolutely believe that um, they're, they're three up front and their quality in the midfield will allow them to continue to dictate play. And I am going to go broke betting on this and going to take them and not just on the minus 120 uh, to following my own advice. You get all the way up to plus 130 if you think they can win by two or more. And that's what I'm doing too. I'm I'm in the same boat. And and maybe to catch people up on Lester, because I feel like we haven't talked about Lester in like three months. Uh, basically, Jamie Vardy getting old, Ben Hurt, Will Fernandini, great mid, uh, defensive midfielder, barely played. Uh, Napoli's Mendy is the guy that's been kind of uh, 
uh, deputizing for Ndidi while he's been out. Definitely not close to the same player. Um, a lot of defenders have been in out. Johnny Evans has missed minutes. He's been very steady for them. So they, they just haven't been good. Like this is a Leicester team that's finished fifth. I think it was like two years in a row. Um, you know, they have James Madison, they have Barty and, and Tillman, who, who I love and Harvey Barnes, kind of an up and coming English attacker, but they, they really have just been bad. Like this has been a very not good Leicester team. I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Rogers is on the unemployment line when the season ends. Um, but I mean, so for Spurs, like you said, they can on their good days and when they're finishing their chances, they can blow teams out of the water with that front three that they now have. And if you're doing that against Lester, who's minus defenders, minus a great defensive midfielder, I also love minus one and a half at plus money because this could be a, a route. Because this Lester has nothing. We have a you know preface this too. Lester has nothing to play for. They're they're not going to get relegated, yeah. and they're not going to make European places. They're one of like four teams in the middle of the table that nothing matters for them. And Spurs yep. are still in the race for fourth. So they are going to absolutely try to blow this team off the pitch. Um, and so with that said, I am also going to hit the over of three and a half goals at plus 145. Because um, not only do I think that that part of Spurs' range can get that on their own, um, but the good thing that Leicester does is they do have good attackers. So they're going to probably nick one, maybe two, but they're definitely going to give up a couple or more on the other end. So I think the over at plus of three and a half at plus money is pretty good value. Yeah, and and look, clean sheet win is plus one forty, um, which is one that I wrote down. If good team to do a good thing against a bad team that has nothing to play for, but uh, my prop bet, I, I went a little weird. Uh, not gonna lie, I just looked all up and down the prop sheet and saw one that just you know kind of jumped out to me because I like the odds. I like this. I'm you keep it fresh, man. I like this. <laughs> exact team goals in the first half. Spurs to score two exactly is plus 360. Interesting. So if you follow the narrative that they're going to uh, have one of their good versions of their games in their good versions of the game, and this is where I keep losing money, they (laughs) score early. Um, I'm not wrong, by the way. Like, it's actually a good bet because you can get them early at at plus. Like last week, I got them at plus 150 uh, to win the first half versus minus 110 to win the game. And the point being, if they are going to play well, they're going to play well early. They didn't play well, and so it ended up being 0-0, and either bet would have lost. But I still feel good about taking the correlation at the higher odds. And if you so for this game, if you feel that way, and you think they're going to get out on them, then you know one goal is only plus 130. That's not that great of odds for an exact goal total. And then three would be an epic route. You get huge numbers for that. But two felt like the Goldilocks to me. Like I could see them getting out, get two early, and you get all the way up to plus three sixty. Um, so I, I just like that way to juice the odds. If you feel the flow of the game will go the typical Spurs feast way instead of famine. Oh, man, I like it, dude. Uh, I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna package a couple of lay round picks. I'm gonna move you up. I'm not. You're not gonna be that compensatory pick in the between the fourth and the fifth round. I'm going to trade up. I'm I'm moving you up to like a third round pick after that because you just keep things fresh. Oh, my. I do the same boring shit, and then you you come at me with, like, exact goal totals for Spurs-Lester. Like, I'm... I'm this is for you, right here. Thanks. Too bad you had to give up your first pick next year in order to move up. So that was terrible draft value by you, but luckily you'll be fired by the GM by then. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, all right. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go to the Covered in Glory Derby. Everton oh, versus Chelsea, <laughs> Sunday at 9 a.m. 
Uh, Chelsea is minus 130. Everton is plus 400. The draw is plus 265. Chelsea minus half a goal stays at minus 130. Everton to get points they desperately need in their relegation battle is plus 115. So a lot of... I look at that number and I see like, man, there are way more Everton backers than I think there should be. Um, but, you know, first look at it. I watched Chelsea Man U today, obviously. Um, it was a little bit unusual in that often when I watch a soccer game, because I'm not that smart about soccer, I feel I always learn something about it by watching it. I feel like I learned nothing about either yeah, team watching weird, this game. It's a just, really weird match today. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't even just weird to me. It just confirmed everything I think about both teams. Yeah. Like Chelsea just carved up United's completely trash midfield, and then they could not find an end product. That's what I think about both teams. Timo did a ton to help the team through his movement, but nothing to finish. That's what I think <laughs> about Timo. Lukaku comes in. He crushes the team by barely moving at all. That's what I think about Lukaku. <laughs> United is 1,000% reliant on Ronaldo having a moment of brilliance and have no other ideas at the moment to generate a goal. Exactly what happened. Uh, Alonso is still Chelsea's best technical finisher. He got the goal while volley out of the air. That was absolutely perfect. So it's just all things I've said repeatedly on this show were confirmed over and over again. It's like a Floridian watching Fox news or anyone with eyes watching <laughs> Deli alley. Um, and because I still think the exact same way about the team after watching the game, I know they are damn sure better than Everton. And I can't believe I only have to lay minus one thirty against a team that seems less interested in playing the beautiful game and more interested in playing dead. So not only give me them to win, give me to win and the over uh, on their own goals of one and a half to get to plus one twenty on the number. Yeah, I mean, God, this one was actually really hard for me. And I, there's just no like sentimentality behind that or anything. It just was a difficult match for me to try to picture ranges of outcomes. Um, and the thing I kept coming back to, and this is more like my gut, was, you know, this match is going to be at Goodison. Gibber- uh, Everton completely parked the the bus against Liverpool. Like they, they almost went to the Simeone, like five, five <laughs> defensive formation, just trying to eke out a point yeah. at Anfield. Um, and I, I kind of want to factor in the fact that, you know, Chelsea a third pretty much locked up. They, they just, are, they're going to have a two days between the, this United match and this one. So uh, it just seems like this game is going to be really brutal and ugly. Like Everton are just going to try to play for a point. Chelsea probably don't care. They're going to rotate a little bit. We might see your boy Saar out there, you know, getting some minutes, getting some kicks in <laughs> um, midfield might rotate a little bit like Bapas cheek, you know, he's been pretty solid, but like he might come in. So, I mean, I, to me, the draw just uh, kind of was where I kept getting pulled to. It's this one, one Everton flukes out a goal. Chelsea doesn't finish the chances that they should kind of thing, or just a, just a terrible, ugly, nil nil stalemate. So I'm going right down the line with this. I'm going to take the draw plus 265 and the no score tie is plus 1200. And when I picture this match, one out of 10 times, this is an ugly scoreless match. Easy <laughs> to me. Uh, yeah. And so I, 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 I don't know though. I mean, ever like you're the Everton fan here. But are draws good enough for Everton? I mean, Everton, I, I didn't read well, the places. they're, they're places not, but they're not good the enough beginning. to do anything other than that against Chelsea. Well, I mean, well, like if you're going to lose 1-0, you might as well lose 5-0 right now. And so do they actually, if, if they play for a draw here, they will be one point down to Burnley 
with uh, five games left to play for both teams. Like, can they actually play for draws when Burnley is winning unexpected games? I, I think they well, have to chase W's well, they, they to have think, a shot to stay up. Well, they do, 100%. Like, in terms of, like, general game theory, yeah, they, like, have to – it doesn't matter if you win by one or and lose by five. Like, they got to chase three points. But, you know, in general, teams are – like, Burnley and Everton are in this position because they're averaging less than a point per match. If you average a point per match, they'd be at 30 – eight points, they'd be a lot closer to probably feeling safe towards the end of the year. So for them getting a point against Chelsea and then trying to, you know, put their foot on the gas against maybe lesser talented teams seems a little more likely. Um, and also I'm just going off the approach. They, they went against Anfield. Like there was no pressing. Yeah. There was nothing like they sat back and just countered. And I think that's going to be the same thing. And the other part is, is, is since Lampard has come on, they have just created nothing in attack. So even when they've tried to put their foot on the gas, whether it's the players are bad, whether it's the way that Lampard is kind of structuring them and the 11s that he's rolling out aren't very good, whether, you know, Everton's midfield is just garbage. Um, all those things have contributed to like them just not being able to score. So the nil nil isn't necessarily about how they're going to approach this match. Like they just don't have that extra gear to try to go out and win this two, one, three, one. Like just because they put yeah. out a ton, I mean, they put out a ton of attackers against Liverpool and it didn't matter. I think they had like four shots. So, you know, like it, it's, it, I, I think it's just a more Everton is really bad. They can't get points. Chelsea is still going to try to be sound defensively. And they have a bunch of guys that, you know, sometimes they go through matches where they're not finishing chances and we have no idea where Lukaku's head is. So if he gets rotated in, he might just sit in the kickoff circle. Oh, for the entire I, know, I know where his head is. His head is at the top of the 18 yard box, standing still <laughs> with his hands on his hips. That is where his head always is physically. And like I mentally, feel really I can't good about a nil-nil draw. Physically, he's just standing there. Yeah, I feel yeah. really good about a nil-nil draw at plus 1200 then, if that's the case. Oh, Jesus, that freaking guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got two games left, and we've been talking for a long time. So let's really rip through this. West Ham is seventh at 52 points versus Arsenal, fourth at 60 points. Game Sunday at 1130 a.m. Arsenal is minus 125. West Ham's plus 340. The draw is plus 280. Arsenal staying at uh, minus 125 on the spread at half a goal. West Ham is plus 105 to get some points. Uh, so speaking of like you know, teams repeating form, West Ham has already tipped their hand on how they're going to view this match after they heavily rotated against Chelsea last week, including Mark freaking Noble. Uh, all the eggs are in the Europa basket as they attempt to continue to walk down the Man U road to the Champions League. And even more so now that they have to chase down a one goal deficit in Frankfurt next week. So Noble might be playing striker for them. If they're going to rest <laughs> so many guys in this game. Meanwhile, Arsenal still looks sharp. Still have a ton to play for. Uh, I would have expected to have to weigh le- way more juice for Arsenal to win this game when it's so important to them and, and West Ham's going to be playing for Europa. So I'm thrilled with the minus 125 number. And give me a good team to do a good thing against a team that does not care. Uh, an Arsenal clean sheet win plus 190 is my prop bet. Uh, all right, so we'll speed around this. Arsenal... Results haven't been there. Performance has been fairly consistent. I too like that half a goal spread for the amount that you get for the price that you're getting it at. Um, West Ham, obviously rotating makes them worse, but even before then, they have not been playing well. This is a lot of minutes for a very limited squad. They're gonna probably you're gonna probably see guys like Vlasic and Ben Rama and Mark Noble and some 
and probably Diop in the central defense. Um, so for me, it's Arsenal with the spread. And then the over of goals for Arsenal is minus 118 for over one and a half. I will take the over on that. Mm. I like that one. I would, I don't know the odds on it, but you're, you'd get really good odds. You'd be somewhere solidly in the upper 200s. If you parlay Arsenal to score twice and keep a clean sheet. Uh, so if you combine our prop bets, you can get a really nice number. Ooh, I like that. Do that, people. Listen to Toby. Uh, all right. So Man United versus Brentford. This game is on Monday at 3 p.m. Man United is six uh, at 55 points. Brentford is 12th at 40 points. Man United is minus 135. Brentford is plus 370. The draw is plus 300. Manchester United minus half a goal stays at minus 135. Brentford moves up to plus 120. Uh, Brentford is so freaking obnoxious to play against, and they're (laughs) undeniably the better team against both Spurs, Chelsea, and West Ham so far this month. Uh, Meanwhile, despite having some of the most expensive young attackers in the world, Man U is completely incapable of generating a goal by anyone under the age of 35. Uh, I've made my Man United opinions quite clear. They only have three games left in the schedule, but they have zero games left in their hearts and minds. I wouldn't take Brentford at even money, uh, given the talent gap, but to win outright one out of four times all day. Brentford plus 370 to get a win here. Yeah, I'm going to go same thing. We brought it up last week. Brentford with Christian Eriksen has been basically playing like a top six team and United is not a top six team. Um, So I'm going to take Brentford with the spread at plus 120. So I get a little cushion for a draw there. Um, And then I think that as Stu pointed out so gracefully, no one under 35 scores goals for United. Brentford's big thing is they kind of lack big time attackers because they're a newly promoted club. Uh, So I'm going to take the under three and a half goals for the match. It's minus 240. It's not a great price, but Uh, 2-1 seems to be the max range one way or the other in this match. So I feel a little safer taking a crap price for eliminating 95% of the scoring ranges. All right. You play it safe. I'm going to live a little. I love it. Under two and a half goals, plus 110. Plus 110. Getting the plus number by uh, keeping one goal less than Brett has. I'm taking it rather than laying the juice he is. Um, and look, I expect there's some more of the bus parking shena- shenanigans. I see no evidence Manchester United will break it down. I would have expected this to be minus 125 instead of plus 110, and I still would have taken it. So it feels like free money. Uh, speaking of free money, I might not be drinking for free for once. We are going down to the wire in April for the five pint after Brett has roared back the last two weeks. Brett, I don't know if you know the results. But we are basically tied. Promise. It is eighteen point two for you to eighteen for me, heading into the final week of April. Um, and also with your big week last week, uh, anchored by Manchester City scoring five goals and Arsenal and Manchester United both scoring and Arsenal to win, which you nailed for I think a plus two seventy five number. You are now back positive for the year. So Ooh. welcome back to the to the black numbers. My high variance style uh, for, is coming back around. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're still trailing me a little bit, but I'm proud of you, buddy. You're profitable again. Thanks, man. Uh, so for this week, I am going with, and I'm I am telling you right now, I am going to take a parlay similar to this every single week the rest of the year uh, until one of the team pulls away. Manchester City and Pool parlay together, 
just to win this week. They don't both have to win by two, which I cashed on last week. But just to win, you get all the way down to minus 120 for both of them to take care of business on Saturday morning. Uh, I'm going to extend that into Manchester City minus a goal and a half because I think they'll really take care of business is minus 115. Chelsea to win and over 1.5 goals is plus 120. Man U Brentford under 2.5 goals plus 110. And Arsenal to win minus 125 is where I am laying my pints to come out and win yet another month from Brett. How are you going to counteract? Uh, with I'm putting all my money on the, on the good teams to do good things, man. Just to, oh, that's all I got to do. Mm. It. I got Liverpool minus one and a half at plus 125 versus Newcastle for two pints. Liverpool clean sheet win over Newcastle at plus 110 for one. And then the City clean sheet and win over Leeds plus 115, two pints. That's how I'm going to win this month. City and Liverpool. All right. Good teams, good things. Pints for Brett. <laughs> Yeah, all your bets will be done by Saturday morning, so you'll have to watch. You'll have to chase me the rest of the weekend, so at least I'll have a little bit of fun uh, Sunday and Monday. Uh, all right, guys. Well, that is it for us this week. I hope you enjoyed the draft at the top half and the picks in the second half, or you at least enjoyed one or the other. Uh, we will be back next week when it will finally be May. It is the absolute business end of the Premier League season, and we can't wait to talk about the t- race at the top, the race at the bottom, the race at the four. Uh, and all the important results that come in the last three weeks of the season. So until that time, we hope you enjoy the games, and we'll see you next week for our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, everybody. Take care, y'all.